0: All right, guys, welcome back to another uh, episode of Sweat Equity. We're actually re-recording this episode, so we're gonna try to make it even better. The audio got got fucked up, so we got a lot of heat. We're gonna try to make it fast within get all of this in within 50 minutes. Um, on my end, I'm gonna be talking about landing and expanding how. As a company, you could start with one core product for one core customer, and then you could expand outside of that. And then we're also going to take a listener's startup that they they haven't launched yet. Um, it's called Carne Shabu, and we're going to talk about how we'd grow it. And if we were them and we were there in their shoes, how would we launch this? How would we get generate hype? How would we generate sales? And how would we find our first uh, thousand customers? So that's what I got in my doc. What you got?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to talk about how to pull off the perfect Black Friday.
0: Essentially doing a month's revenue in a
1: whole weekend, um, as well as the only major toy company growing in 2023 and how they've accomplished that over the last 10 years of setting it up. So
0: uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Before we dive right into it, we have this segment called Free Game uh, within the podcast. And all that really is, is you submit either A, your startup, uh, the product you're working on, what you're trying to build. And we're going to have a segment within the podcast where we talk about how we'd grow it. We'll do research for you. We'll do market research, competitive research. And we're going to put together a growth playbook for you. But the way that you get us to do that is you got to leave a review. You got to either share some of our clips. Um, or you could just send us a, an email as well at podcasts at marketing podcast or podcast podcast at marketing com, And then we'll, we'll include you in the show. We'll possibly include you in the newsletter as well. Um, but on that note, let's get right into it. So have you ever heard of the Rogue Invitational? Only from you. Okay, So, you, but you've heard of the CrossFit Games? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I went to the Rogue Invitational, and it's almost like the other version of the CrossFit Games. It's like the, the tier right below it. Yeah. And what cap, like, gets, gets me interested in that is the fact that Rogue is a fitness equipment manufacturer. Right. I don't know. Have you ever heard of Rogue so, Fitness, at least? Vaguely, but I want to hear more. Okay. And so the thing that got then got me interested about that is like, well, how does this fitness equipment throw in this giant event? Like they they rent out the Dell Diamond. It's this entire thing. And it's literally like CrossFit Games. I didn't know it was a Dell Diamond. Yeah, it's like it's at the Dell uh, Diamond. It's like CrossFit Games 2.0. Yeah. get the winners are taken home over a quarter mil. Like it is a big event. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and then it got me thinking, okay, how did they get here? Right. And now they're a nine-figure company, they're doing over a hundred million dollars in revenue. But I want to know the origin story. And, and yeah, how they've scaled from whatever they were to what they are now. So they started in 2007 in Toledo, Ohio, which mm-hmm. is actually where like all the gyms and all the fitness manufacturers, uh, equipment manufacturers come from. There's like right. Westside Barbell, Elite FTS. There's, a, there's just a lot and like a lot of the top gyms. But the part that was interesting was they started because they had a CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. And so they go to the CrossFit games in 2008. They're there. They're like. We love this community. We love lifting. We have a CrossFit box, which is just a, an affiliate gym. And as they're building out their affiliate gym, they're like, well, this is really hard to find weightlifting equipment for this gym. Like, no one's making equipment for CrossFit gyms. Mm-hmm. He's like, so fuck it. I will, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. So he starts selling jump ropes and like plyo boxes and ends up spinning up a, a little Shopify site, a little e commerce site. And, and is like, you know what? I'll start selling this online because he's like, if I'm facing this and our CrossFit gym is facing this, There has to be a lot more CrossFit gyms, you know, facing this as well. And at the time, CrossFit boxers were like popping off. There was a time where it felt like every other gym was a CrossFit gym and like regular gyms were almost like closing. Like you didn't go to Gold's, you went to a CrossFit gym. You know what I mean? Like there was was that era. Which I honestly feel like it's starting to come back in that vein. But now it's elevated. CrossFit gyms got a, a little facelift. Yeah. I mean, we have one right down the road and it's, it's, right. it's, it's pretty badass. They're, they're very Instagrammable these days. 100%. And so because he realized that all these other CrossFit gyms were facing the same problem, he was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to solve it. And I'm going to solve it just for CrossFit gyms. Mm-hmm. And this is this idea of landing, and expanding, like finding the core customer, the DNA of that core customer and creating a product just for them. And then scaling just among those core customers. Right. Um, and then what's been insane about that has then been the monumental growth that has happened since. So they started in a 5,000 square foot facility. To, like, And you fast forward to now in 2018 and they started in 2007. So roughly 11 years later, they moved into a 600,000 square foot facility right on 30 acres, like right next to now still their, their gym. But they've grown to hundred million on the back end of just serving the CrossFit community. Mm-hmm. And again, it is this idea of you land in one area, and your your sole focus is going to be this core customer. And their whole thing was like, this CrossFit community has a problem. We're going to serve it, and this is the only people we're going to serve. Once we find product market fit, then we're going to continue into move into other segments that still match like the core DNA of uh, the customer. So then in 2017, they started getting into USA weightlifting and weight and mm-hmm. like Olympic weightlifting, uh, the Strongman Classic, Arnold Strongman Classic powerlifting, world's strongest man, like all these things that when you look at CrossFit, it, it's in the DNA of CrossFit. You watch the CrossFit games, you watch mm-hmm. their events and there is powerlifting segments. There are strongman segments. There's, there's Olympic lifting. It's like, it's all kind of stemming from CrossFit. And why this is important is because like we talked about Auburn's and when we talked about Auburn's, we talked about one, how they were failing, why they were failing and what we would do differently. Their team has come out and said that the reason that we've fell down in the market, way the reason we're not hot anymore is because we like we stemmed away from our core customer DNA. Mm-hmm. You know, we launched with the wool, is it the wool runner? Yeah, the wool runner. Yeah, the wool runner. And then we launched a technical running shoe. Then we launched underwear and puffer jackets. When their main customer base was somebody that was like an urban explorer in their 30s and forties, right? Probably lived in Silicon Valley, liked to hike, enjoyed the outdoors, wanted to be the most world's comfortable shoe. Yeah. Then they come out with the best running shoe. It was like, well that has nothing to do with with why we fell in love yeah. with the brand and then there's other brands some of the biggest brands in the world that we now wrap and that we now love and know started like this too like they they dominated a niche and they did that for a very long time mm-hmm. before they expanded into other areas and some of the most obvious ones is you have nike Nike started as I think it was Blue Ribbon Sports. Yeah, purely track shoe. Yeah, purely a track shoe. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would say like, what do we now know them most for? It's probably basketball or football. Like, yeah, it, they definitely still have a huge running one hundred percent yes market share. But I do think
1: they have just. I mean, Nike is obviously Nike. They yeah. penetrated every single sport. Now they're kind of the they translated from being the running company to being just the athletics company they're known as kind of the best, most stylish product across all sports. So that's more of a status-driven thing. What's really cool about Rogue is how they started with Cross CrossFit yeah. and were able to establish their credibility and authority as the best in that one, one place, which if you are someone who works out quite a bit, you look at CrossFit people as a very dedicated segment. They're people that want the best they want the best training equipment they want to have the best supplements they want to have the best nutrition plan so there's a certain trust factor that 100%. comes with the products that they use i think this is something that has also happened with a couple of other brands that we've talked about recently number one canada goose mm. so canada goose is a massive outerwear park they, yeah. they have parkas right and they're these huge kind of you know winter wear uh harsh environment style jackets and what's crazy about Canada Goose is they actually started as the preferred jacket of people of explorers and tactical units in northern Ontario, wow. Canada. Talk about niche. Yeah. Wow. So in the 70s they were basically what they would outfit these Monties in wow. when they were going to rescue people in the tundra, right? Yeah. Now it's a status symbol high-end jacket brand because they established that credibility as our quality mm. is trusted by people that need that standard. And I think Rogue did a similar thing because people say, oh, you know, this is the best equipment. I want the best
0: equipment. They've established that credibility as we are the highest quality that you can find. And Rogue, they really played into their core DNA of, if you go, so two things. You go to a, a CrossFit competition and it's like the most like, America kind of like folks, sure. not in a bad way, but yeah. it's like the most of the, like that kind of crew. Nah, like. There's a lot of shirts that like have the Punisher logo on it. Yeah, you know, it, well, they, like anything. Yeah, a lot of their shirts say like "Made in USA" in the back, and it's mm-hmm. like bold letters. And and that's like I got a question for you. Has vibe. that
1: evolved over time? Was did CrossFit used to be a little rougher around the edges, and now is it getting a, a little bit prettier?
0: It, it's getting prettier just because it's going a little more mainstream, right. right? Right. So it started at it started off as like a backyard thing. Right. Like they had a ranch and they and they started uh, with. As just a local competition in that ranch, and then it's you know, evolved into a, a right. mainstream sport that gets watched by millions. But for sure, Rogue I think really played into the fact that like we're made in the USA. Mm-hmm. This is manufactured right here in, in uh, steel, Toledo, Ohio, steel capital yeah, of the dude. USA. Well, exactly, yeah. and like and because of that, people that that are in CrossFit love Rogue. Like they've sure. adopted Rogue. You see nothing but Rogue shirts from from people in CrossFit. Yeah. And like I told you about this story. So when I was outfitting my Garage gym, one, I wasn't going to buy Rogue dumbbells. It's like if, if a regular set of dumbbells from 55 to 2000 is like 2000, 2000 bucks, Rogue's like 3000 or 3,500, right. something the like that. The higher end part of the model. Yeah. And so when I got dumbbells, uh, I bought a rack of 55 to 200. Somehow they got lost on, in transit or on delivery to the house. So didn't show up for like three or four weeks. They resend me a, new, a whole new rack. So I get a, a whole nother rack of 55 to 200 pound dumbbells. Then two, three weeks later, I'm in a meeting at this when I was at the collective and Vanessa calls me. She's like, hey, did you order more dumbbells? I was like, no, like why? She's like, the missing, the missing rack, the yeah. missing 2000 pounds just showed up at the house. I was like, oh damn. So for me, I'm like, this is, this is awesome. I'm, I'm about to get essentially dumbbells for free because I'm going to resell these. So I go to resell them. I was like, hey, Vanessa, can I'm, because Vanessa helps me out. Like, I'm if I'll be like, hey, look, we got throw it up on the marketplace. Oh. It's gonna take me two months to actually throw it up on the marketplace. Yeah. So, like, Vanessa, can you do this? And she puts them up there, and she accidentally puts these are Rogue dumbbells. This is a Rogue dumbbell set from 55 to 200. First guy to respond is like, hey, like, are these actually Rogue? I don't see the Rogue logo. And Vanessa's like, hey, are, are these Rogue? I was like, no, they're Titan Fitness. Yeah. And she goes, oh okay. Hey, sorry, we made a mistake. They're Titan Fitness. And the guy goes, ha, never mind, not <laughs> interested. I was <laughs> like oh my gosh, like it is like a cult following yeah. if you're in CrossFit, if you're in weightlifting that yeah. you have to, it has to be outfitted by Rogue. For sure. It seems
1: very similar to how in streetwear you yes. have to be founded in New York or LA. Yeah. And in CrossFit, they love that their brands are from Ohio. You know, yeah. the grit capital of the USA. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like- the, the thing that I love about this with, with Rogue is there's other uh, brands that are launching on the back end of this that I think found that, oh, I could just serve this one community that's an unserved community and make my product for them. And then other people will catch on and the word of mouth will happen. And so one of them that I've been thinking a lot more about is, so Rad Global. Have you Mm -hmm. heard of Rad Global? Mm -mm. No. so they're, you know, when it comes to CrossFit shoes, Rogue has, I think, just weightlifting shoes that they maybe partnered with Nike or something. Um, And then there's the Nike Metcons but then Rad Global came out of nowhere and was like, hey, we're just going to make shoes for, a, or for CrossFitters. Mm. And so they've now started as this CrossFit-focused shoe where that is their ideal customer profile. Their branding is sick. It's so sick. It's so good. Yeah, this and website they only, is insane. It is. And they do like the whole merch drops. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all their drops are or for their shoes are… They have this r- future nostalgia yeah. vibe going it, like, on. It, they combine it very well. Yeah. And so, yeah, they just focused on CrossFitters. They only sponsor CrossFitters. And that has been, and their market penetration because of that has been crazy. Like we were at, or not we were at, but like I was watching the Noble CrossFit Games, which is sponsored by Noble. And a lot of the athletes are wearing rad. Mm, You know what I'm saying? Like they've nailed, yeah, yeah, they've nailed it. The other is, you know, Caleb with Haven Athletic. Right. So he's very big into CrossFit as well. And he's like, look, I go to, I go to the CrossFit gym every single day, and every time I go, I got like three bags with me. I've got my two pairs of shoes, my Olympic shoes, my running shoes, my regular shoes, whatever. I have my chalk, my wrist wraps. Um, I don't think he wears he uses gloves, so I don't want to say he uses gloves. Wait, like he has his belt, like his gloves. Yeah, is, is that a little taboo if someone wears? Gloves, uh, yeah, is he does. He probably doesn't have. Yeah, <laughs> but he probably doesn't wear gloves. Um, he has all this shit, and he's like, dude, I'm tired of having three bags. Mm-hmm. You know, I got my my chalk going into my pre-workout i take it i try like we need to find a solution and so he launches haven athletic which is a gym bag that's honestly it's a massive gym bag but it fits everything it's almost like having a camera bag Mm -hmm. for your crossfit uh for going to the crossfit gym right and they have now i just saw a tweet from him recently and i talked to him not long ago they were at like 70k 80k in revenue a month they just crossed 300k Mm. And they became an, one of the official sponsors of the CrossFit games. And now they're expanding into other sports. Again, they landed in CrossFit. They're like, we're going to serve this community. Right. Once this community loves us, we'll naturally progress to other sports. Because other sports still see CrossFit. And they're still going to see these athletes using the gym bag. And we'll naturally move into basketball, into yeah. track. And this has been like the, uh, something that I love watching. is like, what are these undeserved communities or underserved communities that that you can come into and create a product for, own it, and just then build off that core customer, and also disrupt the big boys. Yeah,
1: you know, a lot of the time, for instance, Nike is a great example. They're they're serving an insane amount of niches. Yeah, you know, they they have a basketball bag, they have a, a baseball bag, they have a golf bag they have all these different products that probably don't get the singular focus and attention that a yeah. founder that's very determined could devote towards 100%. solving every single niche problem that someone is facing 100% and it's something we've talked about before if if you're going to start a company one of the biggest hacks is solve your own problem yeah At almost every founder story that you hear that's super compelling they say I faced this problem and I didn't see anyone else trying to solve it. So I decided I'm the only one that's capable of doing this. Caleb's a great example. Now, to your point about landing and expanding, the whole world is his oyster. 100%. Right? He could easily pivot to building the best, I don't know, the run club bag or, um, you know, (laughs) maybe it's a pickleball bag. Who knows? Some sort of emerging, growing sport. But he's now established (laughs) CrossFit people trust his bag as the best in class those people appreciate quality so is there a similar maybe it's for swimmers maybe it's for lacrosse it doesn't matter but he's going to be able to land and expand
0: into the next category so the the takeaway here is this if if you are trying to use the same approach the first part is was the very specific problem that you are facing Mm -hmm. right which is just what you said like caleb i don't know about rad but like caleb he was facing a problem he solved it? What community are you a part of, and how can I solve it for them as well? And then which goes to the second question you need to ask, is there a group facing it too? Mm-hmm. Chances are if you're facing it, there's a lot of other people facing the same problem. right And then if yes, start there, learn, build, optimize there, and then once you've found product market fit, then you expand then you expand into other segments of your from your core customer that stem off of that DNA, right it's like an, it's almost like another strand coming off that DNA versus we need to find a completely different DNA like Auburn's try to do. Yeah. Um, Wasn't there a sport you
1: mentioned before? High rocks. High rocks, yeah. So he could, that. that's where high he could go immediately yeah. is it's kind of adjacent to CrossFit. Yeah. It's a little more strength-focused, less athleticism-focused. More, or, run, I think more running-focused. More running. Yeah, so more it's kind of like a Barry's class, but just turned into a sport. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to a Barry's class, but <laughs> you probably- like sprint, You sprint and lift. It's yeah. interval training. But um, yeah, that's another example. Uh, super- high growth niche thing is you know a lot of people need to look more at percentages of growth than absolute numbers yeah you know it's something that at the beginning of any startup a lot of teams will tout you know we grew 100% month over month we went from 50 to 100 users yeah. it is important though even if high Rocks is growing rapidly 300% that only means there's you know they went from 100,000 to whatever amount of people are playing it today yeah that's a huge growth rate that you should be looking at instead of, oh, there's only 300,000 people playing the
0: sport nationally. Um, I I think you also look at and read interviews from the founders mm -hmm. because they're taking the same approach as CrossFit. They're like, hey, we're going to have High Rocks-affiliated gyms. Right now, there's 800 of them. They're like, by 2027, we want to have 15,000 affiliated gyms. If you have that data and you see by, by looking at socially, by looking at the by uh, organic search. You see that it's grown and the interest is growing. Go dominate that market very early on. Right? right? The, like Hyrox is a perfect example of there's 800 gyms. Right. If they do exactly. if they do a 15,000 gyms by 2027 in 4 years, that is a huge opportunity waiting for somebody to capture it for you to be the dominant player. 100%. All right, so I want to I want to hear what you got. I know you have something about toy companies and media and like some some crazy growth. So what do you got? Yeah, so My first question for you is, who do you think is the most successful toy company in the world? Okay. Think about my days early on at KB Toys. (laughs) Probably Hasbro, Mattel. No, it's actually Lego. So there's only
1: one major toy company in the world experiencing growth quarter over quarter in 2023. The Lego Group. How are they doing that? A few key things that they've done in the last 13 years to 7x their revenue. They were x yes they were at 1.5 billion in 2010 they just did 9 billion in 2023 oh my gosh. crazy it's a hockey stick growth opportunity for a company that's almost 100 years old right wow. like this is an established established player and for them to experience that level of growth shows that they're doing something that is very yeah. tailored to the current market so how did they do this number one they followed Marvel's playbook of creating their own cinematic universe. Mm. So in 2014, they decided to launch the Lego Movie. Obviously, it kicked off in 2011 as a strategic decision. Yeah. But why they did this is previously they had failed to create their own IP. So did you ever have
0: Bionicles growing up? I did because they, they were like one of the toys that one to yeah it like they were sick. Yeah. they were just sick. They were super they cool. Went, they went hard. Like they were an awesome cool toy. toy.
1: But what they failed to do is they failed to create any media around it now there's potentially a few reasons number one maybe special effects weren't there to create an animated series that replicated the magic of the toy but regardless they weren't able to craft a universe around bionicles which was they had a lot of stories and original ip around so you know they sort of tabled that initiative for a few years and Slowed down quite a bit in the 2000s. Lego's initial golden era was the 80s and 90s when they did a lot of licensing deals mm-hmm. with Star Wars, with different Disney's, uh, with a lot of like, you know, they did a space shuttle, for example. They were they were even licensing with municipalities like New York City and you know Boston stuff yeah. like that. And so what they did is they decided to build their own cinematic universe. Now they launched the Lego Movie in 2014. They launched a a TV series called Ninjago in 2011, which I had never even heard of, never but heard apparently of that. it was a smash hit. Really? Then they launched the Lego Batman movie in 2017 in a follow-up to the Lego movie, a second part in 2019. Mm-hmm. Guess how much money those movies made at the box office? Is it hundreds of millions? Collectively, they grossed over a billion dollars. Wow. Insane, right? That's a huge component of this revenue growth is yeah. they were able to do that. But what it also did is kind of reignited their place in the culture. Yeah. So before Legos got kind of stale, nostalgic toy, you played with it when you were kids, but was it really something that was top of mind? No. And once those movies came out, not only were they
0: surprisingly good,
1: that was the other big thing. They all have. Have you really, watched any of
0: them? Yeah, they're kind of they're sneaky good. Like which ones? Which one should I? If I'm watching one, let's say with Zara, I'm gonna use that excuse. Yeah, I can yeah, use that yeah. excuse for anything that like <laughs> I wouldn't. Not wow. even one, but like, yeah, I got to yeah. show this movie. <laughs> hey, you didn't get uh, to out me, though.
1: <laughs> so I think uh, I think the Lego Batman one, that's the one I recently watched with my nephews that kind of kicked sure. this whole thing off. I was watching it by myself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I watched that with my nephews the other day, and I was just blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, they're loving this, but I'm also cracking up, too. This is a really oh, funny movie. Okay. And so then it kind of started me down this rabbit hole of what has Lego been up to? Found the graph. And how am I watching a Lego movie? Yeah, right? what, how <laughs> did this all come to be? And... You know another another crazy stat about that Ninjago series, which is uh, it was an original series on either Nickelodeon or Netflix, I can't remember, but um, it was originally supposed to be three seasons. That's all they commissioned. It went for ten. Wow. Now there's two movies about it. They're rebooting it. Like it was so successful that they're trying to run that up. But you know, essentially, Lego realized we are stale. We are not continuously growing, and we need to do something. So they looked around and they saw okay, what's the most successful thing that we've done over the last 10 years? This is in like 2010 when they really were at a fork in the road. It was the Lego Star Wars video game. Mm. It was their first venture into media. And, you know, that was the first extension of the brand that wasn't just toys. Um, That game obviously holds a special, special place in (laughs) probably a lot of our audience's (laughs) hearts. And, you know, from there, they they decided, okay, we need to create original IP that's going to captivate our audience and not only did this have a significant impact in you know reinvigorating a core segment of their of their original customers which is guys like you and me who are now you know in our late 20s yeah. but potentially getting married having kids want to introduce our kids to the things that we played with as uh, when we were their age um, what they did after that is really interesting so they leaned into that nostalgia and they were able to Monetize adults while they were selling toys Mm. for the kids. So now, Lego adults are a huge customer segment. That's actually what they're focusing on as their next growth cohort. They think that by creating more complex builds, you know, adults are going to want to build Legos side by side while their kids are playing the simpler ones or while their kids are building the simpler ones. So maybe the kid is building his Ninjago set and then Pops is building a full recreation of like SpaceX's rockets, you know, and they're becoming these sculptures. They're becoming these household items that you can use to almost decorate your home. And it's just fascinating to see how, you know, they've been able to parlay that cultural relevance into reactivating their core demo. And now not only are they selling selling to kids, but they've been able to reactivate a bunch of people that bought as kids that are now adults.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. So I'm on their site now. And they have like lego.com, Adults Welcome. And it is like some it's really crazy. badass sets. Yeah. But on top of that, like then they have the media component where they show like all these all this different IP that they've created on the back end of their products. But think about that
1: as an advertising medium, right? So not only are they grossing a billion dollars at the box office, and I'm pretty sure all in those movies cost them between 200 to 250 million. So they're, they're smash hits. Yeah. But that is free advertising for any new toy that they want to roll out. One it's is, it's yes. the ultimate hack that, you know, a lot of these different uh, content creators have done for a long time. Marvel obviously has mastered this with yeah. Hasbro, like, you know, action figures and stuff like that. But say they want to integrate a new toy, <laughs> just include it in a primary scene mm-hmm. in the Lego movie. Every kid that sees that movie is going to want that toy. 100%. No, uh, this, is,
0: this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, they even have a home decor section.
1: Yeah, they have a they have a natural history museum, right? Like who, what, and this the is, Orient
0: Express train. <laughs> I mean, it's great. No, this is this is awesome, and this is something I'm going to go down a rabbit hole this week. And it's just like, yeah, they're playing into so many things that are relevant and social, right? Like interior design feels like it's take it's just right. People been a are rocket tired ship. Of minimalism. Yeah, dude, it's been a rocket ship. Like you got to have standout pieces, and then to to then know that and probably observe that, and I'm sure they have all sorts of complex models, given them this data. To then to have Lego launch, you know, home decor, yeah, flowers. Yes. For example, this wildflower bouquet. I don't know if you, you're looking at it, but that's made out of Legos. Is six. I'm seeing tiny plants. Like you were saying, this perfect co build, which is for adult friends to build something together. Like that is that is sick. Um, yeah. it reminds me a lot of Disney and their their media or their move, right? Which I'm sure we've all seen the yeah that image of of dis the Disney Empire and how it all connects with everything that they launched but you know with disney it's like you go you watch all the disney movies Mm -hmm. you see all of disney's ip essentially and you go to disney world you experience it in real life and then when you're done going on a ride when you're done going through you know harry potter world or whatever it is you then go and buy all the harry potter shit you then go buy all the snow white stuff like you, you it's just this constant flywheel. and then when you have kids you watch it with them, then run you take back. them to... Di- yeah, it's, literally, you just run it back. You go yeah. back through the flywheel, you watch the movie, go to Disney World, you buy it, and you just... Con- it's a continuous cycle. And it seems like Lego's building that same exact thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's honestly been so impressive to see. And what's cool about them as well is they're taking an extremely data-driven approach to yeah. this. Um, so the Ninjago series, they this is a really fun nugget of information. They actually conducted ethnographic research with kids to determine what should we create. Mm. They they did a, a lot of focus groups around kids. And one of the senior design managers for the theme said, you know, we asked these kids, what's the greatest hero that you could possibly ever want to see, right? And they showed them superheroes, they showed them firemen, they showed them all this stuff and then they showed them ninjas. And ninjas turned out to be by (laughs) far the number one thing that these kids wanted to see more of. And so they created an entire series around it. Um, It's also crazy. There's two brothers, uh, Kevin Hagman, I believe is his name. Um, Yeah, Kevin Kevin and Dan Hagman. And these guys are single-handedly responsible for... Ninjago for both the Lego movies. And then uh, they didn't do the Lego Batman movie, which is, which is interesting. But it got me thinking about these singular people who push an entire media company forward and how valuable that is. It's, it's unbelievable how these guys, if you look at just the movies that they created for Lego, they've generated over a billion dollars in revenue. But then they also ignited the flywheel that we just described.
0: And their personal websites must have crazy social proof, bro. They're Generated probably $1 billion for social. proof. Er, I promise for, you, for these Lego. guys don't have LinkedIn. They don't have LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need it. <laughs> maybe Twitter. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah. they probably have like 80 followers. It's always those guys.
1: No, they're on some like, you, you know guys. where to find me shit. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you find me. <laughs> yeah. What a job by Lego. Uh, insane. Phenomenal. And I think, honestly, like they have so many opportunities from a licensing perspective, and they're not going to go away because no. they got another. By, I mean, I don't have kids. Like, you got another five years before, or four years for Zara's building Legos. Like, this is a trend that's going to continue for a while, and it'll be
0: it'll be really fascinating to see how they expand the cinematic universe. One hundred percent. That's. I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole this weekend. So I want to go into and segue to uh, this free game section yeah. or segment of of the podcast. So uh, a few. I don't know, a week ago, two weeks ago, I was like, I put out a tweet and I was like, hey, drop your startup, we're gonna you know, pick one and we're gonna give you a playbook on how we'd grow it. And so this guy who's starting a company called Ganeshabu is launching uh, this, I don't know if it's this year or early next year, but he hasn't launched yet. And I think he has a phenomenal product. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially what it is is there's carnivore snacks, there's beef jerky, and he's like, well, if you go to the grocery aisle and you're trying to buy beef jerky and you're a woman, it is very intimidating because everything's just black and red and like it's all manly shit. It's like 24 grams of protein and it's like right. steel bold letters and shit. For sure. Right. is such an, it's a very masculine dominated thing Yes, everybody space. has followed the same angle for beef jerky. And he's like, that is very intimidating. There's nothing for women. And yeah. so he's creating essentially carnivore snacks, but for women. And the branding is, is awesome. awesome. Yeah, it, it is awesome. And on our end, I'm like, well, how can we help you grow, right? Like you haven't launched you are bootstrapping. You're not raising money. Let's give you the playbook, mm-hmm. right? And if you want us to do this for you too, podcast at marketingexaminer.com. Yeah, shoot us an email. Yeah, shoot us an email. But yeah, I want to give him the, the launch playbook. So the first thing is, and you and I talk about this a lot, how can you dominate a local area first? And you could go think about landing and expanding here too. How do you uh, uh, dominate the local market first? Imagine a better place to launch for this product than Austin, than Texas. Austin, Texas the The city of human optimization, the city yeah. of of mini Hubermans the walking city of the on carnivore the carnivore trail. Diet. Yeah, mini yeah, dude, like the Yeah, the, the, it's it's literally the perfect city to launch this kind of product. This yeah. product. Every other house has a cold plunge. No, the
1: saunas per capita in Austin, yeah. Texas, is unbelievable. <laughs> dude, I heard you're actually poor if
0: you don't have a plunge next to your sauna. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> um, a joke, everybody. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the, the thing is, how can you become the hottest thing in in Austin before mm-hmm. then expanding into other markets? So the first thing I would I'd want to do is you got to do influencer seating. Mm-hmm. Find people that that match your core customer DNA, whether that is the the women that are in CrossFit, they're in run clubs, high rocks, um, they listen to Huberman. I think they're they're called like the Huberman wife folks. I don't yeah. not have yeah, yeah. heard Huberman, of this. Huberman people wife, that are hilarious. in carnivore like carnivore MD. Send them free product. Get all of their names, make a giant Excel sheet, Google Sheet send them all free product and then really personalize when you send it to them. So send, send them a, a note, get to know them, what they're working on, add that, to, um, add, to, add that to the product when you send it to them. And then also add a, a, like an educational piece. Mm-hmm. Explain why this product is better than the other ones on the market. Explain what it is, the branding, the story, like the, the origin. Yourself. Yeah, chain, like I have other than carnivore snacks because you bring it here. I have no, I go to the beef jerky aisle and I just buy one that like Whack. Just looks good, right? Yeah. Or I'm like, this just sounds good, whatever. I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. But I have no like attachment to any of them. Not a lot of allegiance. And, no. and if people you know, if, if there's any
1: kind of hesitation or thoughts about this as a method, you just got to look at Midday Squares yes. and what those guys did. Yeah. I mean, so for, for, for a refresh, so Midday Squares is a chocolate. Uh, I guess they're like a better for you chocolate brand. 100%. And so they did a couple of things that at the very beginning were just insane. And number one was they launched in montreal canada that's the only place they wanted to launch so their thought was we're a cpg consumer packaged goods brand everyone needs to know what we look like in our local area because we don't want false signal from facebook ads we want to talk to people we want to hear if they like our product so they ran a facebook ad campaign exclusively in montreal and when they did that they priced the bar at a loss they made it such a no-brainer decision for anyone to just be like, oh my gosh, this bar is yep. 49 cents. Yeah, I'll just give it a try. Yeah, And w- one of the ways they saved money on that was they didn't ship anything because they decided we're going to individually deliver every single one of these. Yeah, What an opportunity for collecting user-generated content, collecting in-person reviews, seeing your customers face-to-face and endearing yourself to them, talking about your mission, if Carnegie Shabu, if he wants to endear himself to these women that are going to, yep. you know, end up supporting his brand, why not talk to them? See if this is a problem that they're facing. Are they feeling
0: like, oh, I'm not getting the type of products I need? That you beat me too. I was literally gonna say the the first uh, 100, 200, hundred, two hundred, three hundred customers, hand deliver all those deliveries. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. make sure that you're there, giving them product, explaining the product, and then also create content around these moments. Get a bunch of UGC, get a bunch of unpackaging, review videos first taste videos because this is going to help you feel that you are everywhere in Austin and everybody yeah. that knows somebody in Austin that's within those, those communities mm-hmm. is going to know about Shabu For sure. And you're going to feel like the newest, hottest thing here. And again, this is a city that adopts things like that. Right. Right. Because they like to be on the up and coming. And if this becomes the hottest thing here, it'll become the hottest thing in, in other places People because things that are, it. yeah, things that are, there that um, are starting to become like a religious factor in Austin get, uh, they get, they essentially get translated into other cities, other major cities. Like we're becoming something that inspires or a place that inspires other cities. There's definitely a trendsetter element to Austin. Yeah. And speaking of trendsetters, I couldn't, he, I couldn't get the right word. I was like struggling, <laughs> dude. Yeah. I and could not think of the right he, word.
1: Uh, you know, speaking of influencer seeding though, if he seeds these influencers, one mistake that I think a lot of brands make is they don't provide enough incentive to the influencer themselves. Carne Shabu Look, it's going to be a rough few months financially getting a brand off the ground. That's guaranteed, right? So what you have to do is look at your numbers and say, what, what can I stomach as far as paying out a commission to these influencers yeah. and give them such a no-brainer offer that ultimately you're going to be running Facebook ads. Your yeah. cost per acquisition on a Facebook ad is probably going to be pretty high, especially as a brand yeah. launching in 2023. Give an influencer pretty much whatever you think your customer acquisition costs that you would expect. Maybe you're selling like a $30 bag of meat and give the influencer $15 for selling that bag. Yeah. You might take a loss on that bag, but what you're going to get is invaluable distribution of your product. At the end of the day, especially in the consumables, good like in this consumables world, if people don't like your stuff, you're screwed anyway. So you just got to p- get people hooked on it in that first time and they'll come by from you again. A lot of first-time founders don't necessarily look at... Uh, lifetime value of a customer. They look at just that initial profit like on the first order. And I think that's one thing he can do is, okay, give these influencers a no-brainer offer to talk about you and to want to sell you so that they're actually going to do it rather than just kind of take a bag
0: and get out of there. 100%. On the other, on the back end of the UGC, those moments that you're you're hand delivering to these customers or to the influencers, get their rights to that content so that you can run ads on the back end of those influencers that have the influence in that city. Yeah. So if you are with the CrossFitters and the High Rocks and the Run Club and they they have 15, 20, 30,000 followers, hundreds of thousands of followers, get the rights to that so that then you could run that Facebook ad just specific to Austin, like you said, like Midday Squares did. Just specific to Austin. So again, that you feel like, oh my gosh, I see this person on my story. I'm then getting hit with the ads. This person's posting a review on their feed. Like you are now everywhere. Now the content, play there's two two companies I like. One of them we kind of talked about. So the first one is Elwood Clothing. Mm-hmm. Or I want to talk about. Sorry. Yeah. It's Elwood Clothing. Elwood does a really good job of being very educational but product focused. Yeah. If you look at their page, they have probably 60-70,000 followers on TikTok. But what they do really good, what they do a really good job of is bringing their product into the content without feeling too promotional. It almost feels like they're taking their customers' frequently asked questions and just turning them into content types. Right. So you have things like behind the designs, team fits, size guides, how to style. And it's all these things where this, the center of that story, the center of that piece of content is the product. Yes. But it doesn't feel like it because it's what customers are asking for. Right. The second is Midday Squares. Midday Squares is probably one of my favorite TikTok accounts right now, especially a brand account. Because what they do is they introduce characters into their content. And so now when you follow them, you feel like you're part of a show. Exactly. Where every piece of content is an episode that you're tuning into. And mm-hmm. they have things like, uh, we got a seasoned assist from Hershey's. Mm-hmm. Here's a day in the life trying to raise $20 million. Mm-hmm. How we almost lost $400,000. How this product failed the story behind this product failing. Insane hooks. Yeah, so we made a music video like all this shit that just feels like an episode of some show that I would want to watch and if I love the brand I am going to watch it.
1: Yeah, Nick Nick did Nick is the founder of Midday Squares. He he did an amazing job talking about we positioned ourselves as the underdog against an enemy that everyone kind of feels like they share, yeah. which is Hershey's yeah. or, or big chocolate because everyone kind of knows that sugar and, you know, big chocolate is not necessarily on your side. They're just a really addicting, unhealthy product. And yeah. so they, they said, you know, we're going to have a mission that people can get behind and we're going to show people the journey to take down this Goliath. I think Carnage Shabu has a really good opportunity there I'm as well. You know, if Jack Links, find the things about Jack Links or whatever incumbent dominant players there are, find the things in their manufacturing process that are just horrifying to 100%. people. Yeah. I'm sure something in their supply chain is not Jill. That they do to either their you know cows or whatever it is um maybe it goes through a ton of different production methods that are all laced with you know chemicals and stuff like that and it's really not actually good for people and it can lead to some downstream issues find that position yourself and say i heard about this i don't want people to have to deal with that anymore that's why i started carne shabu watch what happens because people are going to rally behind your mission they're going to support you whether they like the product or not
0: yeah products good you know, there you just built a true fan. So it's somewhat like uh, Native deodorant. I mean, they were like... Exactly. They positioned themselves against nearly every deodorant and were the first to do it because... Aluminum like, free was a crazy angle. Aluminum free. And it was just like you yeah. find the data behind it and how it affects your body and then, you, and then you create the product that then removes that problem. It was like, well, this is now my favorite, favorite yeah. deodorant. And the crazy thing about Native is... Uh, I, was, I was talking to somebody about
1: this at your event last night is they're gender neutral. Yeah. No matter what shower it is, native looks good in it yeah you know it can be positioned next to anything and it's it's impressive how like same with midday squares right they they have you know a positioning that is very gender neutral i think carnegie is really smart for going after a female focused audience but there's still a lot of appeal that he can have to men in this space as well and i think a lot of men are probably looking at their meat and where it comes from (laughs) (laughs) uh, Wow. Uh, hey, pipe down. Yeah, dude. <laughs> they're at where, uh they're looking at where their steak comes from and they're like, yo, I don't appreciate the practices that <laughs> being on my uh being on my plate. That's all folks. We're done for today. <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: No, we got we gotta do the we got eight minutes, yeah, five minutes. Let's run yeah, through yeah. the Black
1: Friday real quick. So super quick Black Friday masterclass. How do you do a month's revenue in one weekend? You start early. You want to test your offers in other holiday periods. So you have these different periods throughout the year. You have Father's Day, you have Mother's Day, you have Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend. Make sure that you are offering the best possible bundle or discount gift with purchase. However you want to shape that offer, validate that assumption in other holiday periods when customers are prone to expect a discount or some sort of special event from you. Number two, once you've validated that offer, make sure to build your SMS list. A lot of brands are going to be sending emails during Black Friday. There's a lot more intent behind an SMS list because people don't necessarily want to give their phone number out to a million different brands. They will give their email out to pretty much anybody. If you give them 10%, 20% off during the year, they're probably going to give you their email. If you want to actually get your offer in front of them at a guaranteed level, get SMS. So, you know, before for the 6 to 12 months before Black Friday, make sure that you're building your SMS list as much as you can. Another thing, I think it's really important to launch your sale early and surprise and delight customers with a better offer at Black Friday. Mm. Some people might say, "Oh, this might upset your existing customers." Just handle it. If yeah. they if they want another discount, just be like, yeah. "I'll give you another product for this or whatever." Um, but that way you're running up your revenue all of November and then you're still activating people that might have been waiting for like one more set, like one more discount. You're activating them during Black Friday. Another thing that we did with one of our brands that I absolutely, I think was, you know, not to toot our own horn, but I thought it was very smart is coordinate a product drop around that weekend. Yeah. So, you know, and you want to make sure that your audience is going to love that product. So what did we do? We're, it's, a, it's for a hat company. And their signature bestseller is a LA Dodgers themed hat. It's a LA hat. Um, and obviously for Los Angeles, we'll put it up on the, on the video. But so they looked at, you know, where are all of our customers at? They found that their other two biggest markets were New York and Arizona. So what are they gonna do during Black Friday? Create the same hat, but with a New York logo and an Arizona logo, and then drop it in the same colorways say this is the best time to get this hat because yeah. it's a part of the Black Friday sale. It did three quarters of a month of revenue in wow. three days. So crazy. insane. Another thing, don't extend your sale. Oh, dude. Don't extend your sale. Yeah. There's just, so many people that did a whole nother week post Black Friday. It's not Friday, cyber, cyber Week, Monday. bro. Yeah. It's Cyber Monday.
0: It's just it keeps getting longer and longer. It's
1: yeah. wild. It, it is crazy because I think a few years ago it was pretty taboo to you know, do an entire month. It made it look like your brand was struggling. And then this year, Alo Yoga. Right, they did their entire month of Black Friday. Pretty much any mass retailer did the entire the month. entire month. Um, so you know, if you're gonna do the entire month, what is a way to activate more customers during that month, I, or during that weekend? The crazy thing about the Black Friday weekend is we had that sale live the entire month. It was really good. It was a way better month than you know September, October. Yeah, uh, every day was you know two to three x revenue what it was in those months. However, on Black Friday you know, around like six X revenue. Didn't change anything about the ad spend. Didn't, you know, it it was just pure intent.
0: The psychology is so different during that time.
1: Yeah, people just are breaking out their wallets on Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So same thing with Cyber Monday. Like, you know, you you really see this lull on Cyber Monday all day where you're kind of waiting for the wave, you know, oh, is, is, is it gonna come? Are people gonna, and then right at like 8 p.m. Eastern just starts coming. Yeah. And so it did the same amount of revenue on Cyber Monday as Black Friday. Sick. Saturday Sunday didn't go that well, but it's because 7 p.m. you're yeah. able to send a text five hours left, Black Friday sale coming off intense there. Right. And you know people are like, "Ah, like, am I ever going to get this discount again?" Like you're able to actually push urgency in a way that they understand. So
0: that's, uh, that's how I would recommend to pull off a good Black Friday. The, the main thing that I was paying attention to during Black Friday was just is anybody doing like interesting pricing models? Yeah. And so I landed on four that I'm like, if, if you don't want to just do the, the typical 20% off, 30% off, and you want, actually want to do something that, that taps into the psychology behind your pricing, these are the four things you should do. So the first one is reduce the discount day by day. Mm. So start on Black Friday at 30% off, and then yeah. every day that discount's going to get... Uh, Smaller and smaller. I love that. So start at 30%. By Monday, it's 10%. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's just now an increased urgency that you got to buy. You got to buy. You got to buy. Every, every day that I don't buy, it's going to get more expensive. The second is don't change your prices at all. Yeah. Actually increase your price at the end of Black Friday or Cyber Monday. I mm-hmm. thought that was very interesting to That's be dope. like, hey, this is the price. It's actually a discounted price because on this because date, of supply
1: chain, yeah, our materials yeah. <laughs> costs. You you can workshop whatever yeah, you want to say.
0: Because at the end of at the end of Cyber Monday, this price is now going up. The other that I really liked is tiered pricing. Mm. So setting a a volume limit of okay, the first fifty people are going to get hundred dollars off. The next fifty people are going to get seventy five off. The next fifty are going to get fifty, and you just work your way back to to the original price. You could do, you know, if you are a big, very big brand, you could do much higher volume hits on than that. And then the other one, which actually it has nothing to do with price eating, but it's more so launch very specific Black Friday products. So Rad Global, going back to them, they just launched a whole line on Black Friday, right? These are the Black Friday colorways. And the price didn't change. And guess what? I dropped, I caught two pairs of shoes. And I said I wasn't gonna buy shit this Black Friday, but I knew there was no discount, but I knew that the 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 discount essentially was. These shoes are gonna be gone at the end of Monday. Yeah, there was uh, there's some great tweets
1: about Black Friday from some e-com store owners, and they're like, do your job, yeah. like support the American economy. Yeah. Today you pull your
0: wallet out. Yeah. <laughs> like this is it, man. You've well, never, if you haven't done it all year, like great. this is where we need you. Uh, Brian, I know you gotta wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> we have meetings, we still have a work day ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Alex Garcia underscore ATX. More importantly, subscribe to to Sweat Equity on YouTube, S- uh, subscribe on Apple and Spotify and marketing examine newsletters on Um And then again, if you want to hit us up, oh. podcast at markingexamine.com But where are you at?
1: Yep. Uh, at Brian underscore Bloom on Twitter and Instagram. So follow us there and uh, we'll catch y'all next week. So peace. Oh.